This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus name. Psalm 17, as we go into it, is a prayer of David. It is, uh, it says a prayer of David and it actually is one of the few psalms in the in 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 the 150 that just give that simple plus just a, a simple heading that's actually in the Hebrew. It just says, "This is how you know. This is one of the prayers David prayed. He says, "Hear a just cause, O Lord." And when I think about that, oftentimes as my brain works because I've been a pastor for 25 years and going to law school was somewhat diff- more difficult for me because I had learned to think from a theological, biblical perspective, and then I went to law school, and you have to start thinking in the way that is best to understand the law, and even they are, they have some deep similarities to them. I, my natural thoughts when I first read something or hear something is theological, and it's not, it's not legal, but that being said, the neat thing about the law was is that the law, our law comes from British common law, and British common law comes from scripture. It just straight comes from scripture. Most of what I studied in law school, I could go and find in scripture where that idea or maybe that thought or maybe how it was dealt with and how it's been dealt with, I could find it somewhere in scripture. And one of the interesting things, bankruptcy law is basically just straight out of scripture. It's just almost completely scriptural. And here also is this, hearing a just cause of Lord, what, 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 um, David is saying is that he's asking God to hear his just cause. And remember, we're only just by faith, uh, justified by faith. And so hear a just cause means I'm coming to you by faith and I'm asking you to hear me. You say, what's that got to do with the law? Our constitution sets the framework of our government. It sets up our government as our government function. The three, the first three articles set up the judiciary, the executive, and uh, the legislative branches and how they function and how they operate with each other. And then you have, which is very important, and remember, it sets up how the government function, and it also sets limits on the government's function. And then you have the amendments to the Constitution. And the amendments to the Constitution, especially the first 10, were passed along with the Constitution, and they're called the Bill of Rights. And what they say is, Okay, this is how the government is set up and this is how the government functions. And these are the limits to which the government can act and operate in our lives. The government cannot do certain things and it, and it, and it, and it builds a fence around the structure and says this fence around this structure is how it's supposed to operate. Now, do we do that very well? We try to. Do, is that under assault? And uh, Yes. And the reason it's under assault is less because people don't care about the Constitution. It's more because people are ignorant of the Constitution. And one of the, the, the First Amendment to the Constitution gives us 
five essential rights. And when it says it gives us those rights, we, we have the view that those rights come from God. And one of the rights that we have that comes from God is to redress the government, meaning we can go and ask the government for, we can go and seek them and tell them, the government, that this is unjust and these things should be changed. We have the right to speak to those and to petition those who who rule over us. That idea comes from God. It comes from God because God gives his people the right to come and seek redress with him. He not only gives his people that, he actually gives Lucifer that right. Lucifer comes and seeks redress before him. He, that, that is seen in scripture several times where Lucifer is coming and seeking redress from God, even though he's fallen. And the whole book of Job starts out with Lucifer coming and seeking redress from God. And the, that, that makes God not only a, a, a just God, but he, it makes him a good, it makes him good. He, he's, he is open to hearing from you. He's opening to hear your heart. Now, he knows your heart, but and he knows the plans he has for you. There's something powerful about you speaking and working through something with some people who bottle everything up inside of them and never speak it out and never work it out with somebody else. Generally, I, I speak and work things out in the different areas that I'm in with different people. If it's a legal issue, I, I work it out with my brothers and my brother and, and some of my friends in the legal profession, or I might even call a, a judge and ask him, see, he ever seen this situation happen? It's not in his court. And I, I seek out counsel in that area. If it's, if it's spiritual, I seek it out from, from those that I respect, especially those generally speaking, it would be something that somebody I'm serving with. So we, I talk it out with somebody, Terry, especially as far the church that that we're a part of, that Blake Community Church, we discuss it, and if we don't have a consensus or an idea from ourselves, then we push it out to the elders and hear hear what they have to say. And then, if we can't come to a conclusion, then we don't do anything. We wait until God gives us an answer and an idea, and see that's what you that's what you should do. But you but primarily, before you do even that, you should seek redress or petition from God. You should go to God. He says, hear a just cause, O Lord, attend my cry, give an ear to my prayer, which is not from a deceitful lips. What he's saying is, I want to talk true truth to you. I want to, I want to be plain with you. I want you to be plain with me. And see, as we work things out with God, we get, we gain perspective that we're not going to gain from anybody else. And we gain insight that we can't gain from anybody else because he is our greatest resource. In fact, he's the provider of all the resources that we have. So we can say, not only is he our greatest resource, he is the author and maker of all the resources that we have. So he says, let my vindication come from your presence. And so what he's saying is, I want what, I want the fix to this situation. I want the answer to the situation come from where you're at. He says, let your eyes look upon things that are upright, which means I want to see what, and I want to see the, the things that are right and work well from you. I don't want to, I don't want to, I want to see, I want to see things from your perspective. And I say that so many times, but understanding that God's way of looking at things is ultimately the truth. It's ultimately the only way to see things. When you realize that you begin to think, 
I want to see things from God's perspective. I want to see how he sees things, not see them from the limited view that I have. You have tested my heart. You've visited me in the night. And if y'all ever had that, I think that's very important. A lot of times, a lot of times we are so caught up in the situation we're in and our emotions are so on edge about whatever we're going through that we can't be still enough to hear from God. And there are times in our lives, and especially it happened a lot when I was younger, a younger adult, there were, there are times in our lives when God speaks best when we're sleeping at night. He comes and he wakes us up when we're still and we're not overwhelmed by emotion. And he comes and speaks to us in the evening. And the whole reason that we're going through this is because he's testing our heart. You've tried me and found nothing, which means you've worked these things out in me and, and you've made me who I am and you found nothing wrong. I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. What he's saying is I have held my tongue and and if you read the book of James, that is very difficult to hold your tongue. It's a world of evil in itself, as James says, and that is absolutely true. The wise person is not the person who speaks most. The wise person is the person who who uh, speaks after uh, careful deliberation in their own heart. He says, concerning the works of men, by the word of your lip, I have kept away from the paths of the destroyer. And what he's saying is, I have listened to what you said and looked at the the way and the and the paths people take the how they live their lives and I have chosen to stay away from the destroyer. I have done the the part of following you. And see, that makes you more confident when you do go re seek redress with God when you're actually doing what uh, God has shown you in your life is the best way, is the way to do it. He says, <clears throat> uphold my steps in your paths that my footsteps may not slip. And he's saying, as I go through this, I am asking you to hold my steps and, and seek me. If you think about the prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples, he says, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. But David is basically asking for the same thing here in verse five. He's saying, now that I know the paths that are right and the paths that are wrong and that you've shown me my path, hold me in that path. Don't make sure that the path that I, I am in is the path that you have for me. He, said, he says, uphold your path that may, my footsteps may not slip. He says, I have called upon you for you will hear me, O God. Now he's saying, I'm not only coming to petition you and I want you to look and see how I've tried to walk in faith with you. He says, he says, I want you to listen to what I have said. Incline your ear and hear my speech. Now, we don't have anything to instruct God about, but like I said, it is very important and very powerful that you deal with God in certain issues because it is good for you to talk through things with somebody. And God gives us people to seek wise counsel from, and in, in the counsel of many, there's wisdom, but also we need to seek counsel from God. Seek first the counsel of God, the counsel of the Lord, before we do anything. He says, show your marvelous loving kind, your right hand, meaning show me all the goodness that you have and show me the power uh, of your right hand. 
O you who save those who trust in you, which means I know you're going to save me. I know that salvation is yours and it comes and it's, and it's energized and maximized when I trust you in the midst of that salvation from those who rise up against me. And so he's saying, listen, I know that, that the world I live in and the world around me is out to destroy me. And that is so hard for young people to really get and to understand is that the world does not love you. If you're one of God's children, if you're a part of the kingdom of heaven, the world does not love you and the world is not ever going to do the best for you. It's not. It, it is seeking to devour you along with its own children, the children of, of darkness. Uh, uh, the world by devours them also. And, but you're an enemy to it, so it's definitely going to devour you. He says, keep me as the apple of your eye. <laughs> that's that's a uh, interesting way of thinking thinking about God that you're actually the apple of His eye, and a lot of young people are saying, well, "What does that mean?" Well, that, the apple of your eye means the uh, the most, the one that you love the most, the one that you that that brings you joy. And he, what He's saying is, "I want to be the one that brings you joy, God. I want I want you to keep me as the apple of your eye. I want you to." That was a phrase that was probably more used in the generation before mine and maybe even the generation before that one than, than my generation. But it is a phrase that comes straight from Scripture, and it is it's the idea of you being the number one. He says, hide me under the shadow of your wings, which means when the hail's coming and the storm's rising, I want to be, I wanna be um, hid from you. I think of that third day song, Your Love, O Lord reaches to the heavens and, and he talks about hiding hiding in that song he quotes that that this verse about hiding me in the shadow of your and that what a great song that is your love O lord uh, reaches to the heavens he says from the wicked who oppressed me by the way that uh, song is actually uh, has many verses from the book of psalms that it uses to build its song and so uh third day does a great job with a lot of things he says from the wicked who oppressed me from my deadly enemies who surround me. When you live in, in, in conflict, and, and David was a man of conflict because, because of the position he had and because of the life he had to live, and, and God made him for that. God made him for to be a mighty warrior before him. When you live in conflict, is all around you. And Jesus even said that, says that to uh, Peter. He says, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. And God even didn't allow David to build his temple for the plain reason is, is because he was not man made for that. And, and David was a man after God's own heart and still he wasn't made for certain things. And understanding that about yourself is really good too, is understanding that what God made you for doesn't mean that God made you for everything. And not everything is for me to be a part of and to do. And I don't have to be in the middle of everything. There's some people who don't want to be in the middle of anything. And there's some people who have to be in the middle of everything. And that's just not, that's just not godly. He says, they have closed up their fat hearts. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a weird uh, uh, Hebrew uh, phrase. It, it basically means is that their hearts are, it's weird. It means that their hearts are uh, full of themselves. But really, that, I guess that's how you'd say it. They're, they're full of themselves. He says, they're full of themselves. With their mouths, they speak proudly. Maybe we ought to use that phrase more, fat hearts. Anyway, they have now surrounded us in our step. Notice he's, he's saying they're full of themselves. They're proud. They have, they're surrounding me. They have set their eyes crouching down to the earth. And, and anytime you see the word crouching, 
that has that has the symbolism of someone planning evil. And and every time you see the word crouching, which means getting lower and preparing to attack, it has the connotation of someone about to do evil. He says they're crouching as a lion is eager to tear his prey and like a young lion lurking in secret play. And he realizes not only that his enemies are all around him, he, he right here gives you the understanding and the idea and, and gives you the uh, perspective that these are spiritual forces at work because lions always represent spiritual power in the Bible. Every time you come across the word lion, it's speaking of spiritual power and it can be a godly spiritual power or an evil spiritual power, but it is always spiritual power. And uh, because Jesus is, is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David there, it is always a picture of a spiritual power. So understanding that the forces that are arrayed against you may look to you physical, and they are physical, but the truth is the forces that are arrayed against you are almost always exclusively spiritual. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and rulers of this dark age. <clears throat> We war not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against that. And understanding that your battle is a spiritual battle primarily all the time is, is the way to do it. But if you'll notice, David goes from him seeing the physical battle, him seeing the physical conflict, him seeing the, that going on, and then boom, stepping back and going, okay, but this is a spiritual battle. This, the, the physical that I see is the result of the spiritual and going through that process and realizing when you're in the midst of it, seeing it, when you see it in the physical, you always react, react, react and react in the physical, but boy, boom, all of a sudden God opens your eyes and you see that, oh, there's a spiritual, com this comes from the spiritual. This has its origin in the spiritual, which it always does. It always does. And the reason it always does is which came first, the physical or the spiritual. God is spirit. God, God, uh, the father being spirit, created the earth with the sound of his voice, which is he, he, the universe, all that is physical came from him. Okay. It came from the spiritual. So the spiritual is always first. He says, arise, O Lord, confront him, cast him down. And what does he do? cast who down? The spiritual power. Of, remember our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers, rulers, principalities, powers, and rulers of this dark age. By the way, Principalities, powers, and rulers, those three words are three um, ranks of angels. So the remember, when Satan fell, he took a third of the angels, and the angels are army, is an army. Angels are set up an army, and there were three generals or three uh, archangels over those three divisions of the angelic host. And remember, Satan, when Satan fell, he took a third of those angels, and they're in an angel army, and you have powers and principalities and rulers and cherubim and seraphim and, and arch, and, and there's nine of them, and I can't name them all off the top of my head. I've never been able to do that, but there's nine ranks of angels, and these are the higher ranks of angels, and they are the ones who, who they're the ones who, who we battle against. And he, he knows that there's a battle against a spiritual power that he's going against. Arise, O Lord, confront him, cast him down. He's not talking about the physical. He's talking about the spiritual here, okay? He says, deliver my life from the wicked with your sword, which means, now remember, he's talking to God. He says, deliver my life from the wicked powers that are at, arrayed around him, not the physical, okay? 
Remember, he saw the physical and he realized it came to the spirit. It came from the spiritual. He says to attack them with his sword. Well, what is God's sword? God's sword is the word of his mouth. All right. When Jesus comes back, he'll have a sharp double-edged sword from his coming from his mouth. Does that mean that there's just going to be a giant sword sticking out of Jesus's mouth? No, it means, well, maybe, but no, it means that his word is that sharp double-edged sword. It cuts both ways. And, and, and it's important that you get that. It cuts against evil, but it also can cut, it can cut his people and make fix and make new as a, as a doctor's scalpel heals and fixes. And so the double edge of the sword both destroys that which stands against him, but also heals and, and fixes that which is his. And so he says, with your hand for men, O Lord, for men of the world who have their portion in this life. And he says, I also want you to take your hand down here and I want you to deal with the spiritual, but I also want it to seep down and affect the physical. He says, with your hand from men, O Lord, whom from the men of the world who have their portion in this life. So he's saying, not just also the spiritual, but from men who are living around me, who are living life around me. He says, and whose belly you fill with your hidden treasure. And so he's saying, uh, I want you to deal with the physical also, not just the sin, deal rightly with me because <clears throat> you're the one who meets my needs and food is a primary need of mankind and we have never we've not experienced the the scarcity of food in the United States for going on now a hundred years but that is a, is over the millennia past and even to this day in parts of the world scarcity of food is a problem and it is a picture uh, being able to eat is a picture of fellowship and being able to have food is a picture of, of God taking, taking care of our primary need, our primary needs in life. He, what he's saying is, I want you to handle the spiritual, but also deal with the actual physical and meet my need. He says, and whose belly you fill with your hidden treasure, they are satisfied with children and leave the rest of, our, of their possessions for their babes. And what he's saying is, I don't only want you to uh, fix the situation now, I want you to, to carry on and continue to uh, my lineage to the generations that come after me. I want your goodness and your love and your power to, to continue on to, to those who follow, follow after me. And every person wants the best for their children or tries to have the best for their children. Not everybody, but most. Anyway, <clears throat> those who are not caught up in their own desires and their own hearts, he says, as for me, I will see your face in righteousness. And so he's saying, I know I'm going to see you if I trust you and I walk in righteousness with you. And, and my righteousness comes by trusting in you. And so he says, as for me, I know I'm going to see you in your righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness, which means ultimately the only way for us to have peace and satisfaction is for us to walk in his likeness as he is. And what a good psalm. It's a great psalm. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.